Hi, you're listening to Go See a Show, New York City's independent theater podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, Tongue in Cheek Theater Productions. Artistic director Jake Lipman has written and directed the company's newest production, Relentlessly Pleasant. And Go See a Show correspondent Tara Gadomsky was on hand at the very first performance to host a live interview and talk back with Jake, along with dramaturg Jessica Amirati. And lucky for us, even if you weren't there, you can hear that conversation now. Take a listen. Welcome to Go See a Show podcast. I'm Tara Gadomsky filling in for Robert Gagnon on a very special episode today. I am here at the Theater 54 at Shetler Studios at 244 54th Street. And I just saw the world premiere, right? Right. Right, of Relentlessly Pleasant. And um, it's very exciting today because I have the creator of this amazing show with us and also some of the cast and the audience here. So I just would love to um, start off by just saying amazing work. And if we can all, we g- already gave a round of applause, but now we have these two women in front of us. Can we give them a round of applause in person? Because what a show did I'll we just it, see. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> and I am here with Jake Lipman, the playwright and director of Relentlessly Pleasant, and Jessica Amirati, the dramaturg of the show. And this was uh, produced by Tongue and Cheek Theater. And I'd like to say this is actually Tongue and Cheek Theater's 40th production. Uh, so also another uh, amazing achievement, Jake Lipman. Yeah. First of all, the first question um, that we always ask on Go See a Show podcast is, when you're telling your friends, come see this show and, to, and promoting it, what do you say? You say, sum up what this show is about in your, I hate to say elevator pitch, but that's yeah. what we like to ask. What, what, is, tell, what, what do you tell friends, come see this show, it is? It's what it's like to work in corporate America as a woman. Full stop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not crying in the office if you can help it, having a boss that you like, having a boss you don't like, um, how do you make your way? How do you show your ambition? How do you hide your ambition? It's about, you know, figuring out what your place is when you're in this hierarchy. Great. So, and so a little bit, though, about what the show is. It's, okay. oh, you want to talk about it? No, no, I'd love for you to do it. Yeah. Okay, so basically it's the busy day before the launch of a new all-female co-working space, mm-hmm. Here She, which is a running joke throughout because it's kind of a terrible name, but these startups tend to have kind of funny names. Um, And so the busy feminist staff is trying to make magic happen for their big launch day and a series of calamities befall them and their feminist ideals are challenged. And some of those calamities are uh, small and fun and some are are very serious. There is um, a, as you're saying in the press, a Me Too moment Mm. that uh, happens in the lead up and that's, that's, a, the, a very, uh, in a way, serious core of of this of this story and how uh, the different women react to that particular incident. I, I was thinking about how, at work, and I work in a co-ed environment like most people, um, that sexuality is always at play, even if it is woman to woman or with men, and you know you have your work friendships, you have your work flirtations, 
and there's always that element of it. You know, how do you get ahead? You know, if you have a boss who makes an inappropriate joke, do you kind of turn a blind eye? It's that kind of stuff. It's nuance. It's not that I think everything is always dun 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 horrible things that happen. In fact, most of the time it's pretty bland. Mm -hmm. But I was trying to get at the fact of this heightened situation where things happen um, and it's kind of a whirling dervish of a day and some big things happen and these big chunks kind of hit them sideways. And then there's small things that happen, like you said, you know, more comical things that are just more easily solved, but frustrating in the moment. It felt extremely real. And I, I've only worked in an office here and there while temping, but even then I could feel it uh, from the relationships to the set, which we'll talk about in a little bit, to uh, the way um, cell phones were, were being used and secretly being used and not being used. It was, it was, it, it felt so real. So I, I um, applaud you for that. Thank I want to talk, I want to talk to both of you a little bit about the process and then get a little more into the story. Um, Go See a Show podcast is about independent theater and a lot of our listeners are independent theater artists themselves. So we really like to delve a lot into the process to give inspiration and tips to people out there who are making their shows. And um, so I wanted to start out with the sort of overall process of, of this story. Now, Jake, this is, the, you have written a play that you had previously that you adapted from a novel. That was The Inn at Lake Divine. Right. But this is the first full-length play that you have written from written scratch. And <laughs> written and produced. I've written other plays, but it was a long time ago, mostly in college and a little bit in grad school. Okay. Um, I devised other pieces mm -hmm. uh, with a group of people, and so that's a collaborative process. Mm -hmm. But to write a play was pretty scary. I was like, I, I have this idea. I know what I want. I had all these elements I wanted, and I talked to Jess about it, Jess Amirati, my dramaturg, and I'm um, she had actually advised me when I created The Inn at Lake Divine, because she had adapted a book into a play. And so we had this great conversation where she gave me advice on that. And so I, it made sense for me to go back to her and be like, hey, I have this thing I want to do. I don't know how to start, but are you interested? And, and she was like, absolutely. That's so, my imitation of her. <laughs> <laughs> so at, this, what, at what point was this, Jessica, when, what was, and, and, I'd and we'd really love to know like the nitty-gritty, like the timeline. Yeah. When was this that you, you had the kernel of the idea, Jake, and when she came to you, you heard the kernel of idea. Can, can you give us a bit of the timeline sure. of how that happened? Sure. I mean, she would, she would have to give you the answer on ago, the, yeah. when she had the kernel of the idea. But I know that last December, I was, I, she texted me and was like, hey, I had something I wanted to talk to you about. Are you free? And I was like, yeah, okay. So I call, she called me. And, um, and she told me that she was, she was doing this, and she said, I don't know what it's going to be, and I don't know where it's going to go, but I want to really explore what it's like for women in the workplace. And, and, what, you know, and, and even at that point, which is almost a year ago, at that point she said, I want it to be a, a deep dive, but I want it to be like subtle, nuanced, differences, you know, like that the the issues are, I mean, it's, it's, we'll talk about the set, but it's funny that the set is gray because nothing is black and white in this, and it really is all these shades of gray, and that was something that, she didn't use that term, but that was something from the very beginning she said she was interested in looking at with this piece, and she said to me, she said, would you be willing to, to be a part of this and help, you know, and help develop it, 
and I, I was like, absolutely, I jumped in. So how did that feet. process work? Did you start um, devising scenes with actors? Did you start, did you sit in a, in, a, in a room by yourself, Jake, and start writing scenes? How did that process work? Okay, so I... You can put I'm, your wine on yeah, the seat. I'll put my wine down. No, I'm not. That sounds really bad. You deserve a, a little it's, glass it's of wine. yellow water. Um, okay, so I had this idea, and I had a couple different things I wanted to play with. So we read a couple different things. We read um, The Dining Room Aloud. Mm -hmm. We read Lean In. We had all these conversations about our personal experiences at work as women. And I had a group of women that I pulled in, 10 women, plus Jess, um, but 10 women who were actors, a couple of whom are here and were part of the production, finally. Um, but they were there from the get-go. And we talked about, I said, I don't know what it's going to be. I, it's something about women at work. That a table is present. It's about taking your place at the table. Um, and let's see what that means. And so we had five or six sessions set up. I basically scheduled it over a month and a half, once a week. We met. And it wasn't all 10 women all the time. It was combinations, but it might be five or six one night. It could be eight another. And we came up with these different scenarios. Or I came up with these different scenarios. And we would do these little, uh, we'd do an exercise in the beginning. I remember asking everybody to pair up, pick a partner, and tell them about a terrible job they had. So people told stories about being you know, a waitress one summer and having a horrible costume they had to wear, or servicing a celebrity, or all these funny things that kind of laid down tracks for this later, and then they performed as the other person. So if I were playing you, I'd be like, oh, I was Tara Gadomsky, and I used to work for the BBC. And you know, I would do you, right. and then you would do me. Okay. And so that was like one of the ways that I got to know who they were and what, they kind of, what their special sauce was. And then we did these scenarios where they kind of played a boss firing someone or promoting someone or um, having a breakdown in a conference room and crying. All these scenarios kind of played out, and um, there were multiple drafts, and that's where I pulled Jess in. So Jess wasn't at these devising sessions, right? I, you, you were at a first I was conversation. At the first conversation, right. And then we, uh, and then I basically, after six or seven weeks, had this first draft, and it was amorphous. It was all these different scenarios. I transcribed what people had said, I tweaked them, I upped the ante, but it was just a series of scenes and they didn't relate. So why wouldn't, so that was, that's an yeah. important thing, you would record the, the sessions. Oh, yeah, yeah important. Mm -hmm. I verbally, you know, mm -hmm. I, not video, um, mm -hmm. but they let me. It was mm -hmm. just, I said, I'm not going to put this anywhere, no right. one will ever hear it. It's just literally a For starting you. point so I can transcribe what I liked. Great. So I did this a good joke or a good mm -hmm. story. Um, and did some of, some of those, I wonder oh, if some yeah. of those made into the play because there was... There, there, was, were, there were jokes that made it in. Yeah. Um, for instance, someone worked for a famous person and she always had to go and get her a warm grain salad. Uh -huh. <laughs> so yes. that was a joke. Yes. Um, thank you, Lori. Um, and uh, there, were, there were scenarios like the firing, like almost mm -hmm. fi getting fired or thinking you were getting fired but you weren't. Mm -hmm. The one section that absolutely came from this devising session, these devising sessions was, Allison takes the phone call and the kid is throwing up and she gets mad and she says, well, it, stop yelling and give him a bucket. What, hello? <laughs> uh, so that was, that was something that came out of it. And, um, but I, by and large, it was mostly inspiration. I didn't end up truly taking those words and turning them into this. There were all these intermediary other stories that happened. I wrote another draft that was like our town Mm -hmm. It was really weird, but it was I, totally, I it, was, it was a totally different play. And that was the stage reading in and April. It, yeah, that was the stage reading in April, mm -hmm. and it was 
you know, and it and it felt at the time that was where this needed to be. Right. And then we did the stage reading, and then we were like, that's not where it needs to be. What What was it? What was it in the stage reading that made you realize that that was not right? Like, was it uh, an energy? Was it the um, script? Was it the set? What What was it? It was a base coat. You know, like I needed to know. I needed to figure out who the characters were. Mm -hmm. And pretty much to a a person, all of the characters remained. I beefed them up, I changed their dynamics sometimes, but I built all the characters, or they built all the characters. The women that played them in the stage reading gave me an idea of who I wanted for that. Mm -hmm. But there were too many, um, everyone was doing multi-track, which is super confusing, so I only have two multi-track in this, like a woman in her early 20s and a woman who's in her 40s. And so I wanted a contrast on that, but otherwise it was too confusing to have eight or nine women all playing multi-track. Yeah. So distilled it down, picked a character for each of the major women. Um, I built the world, here she, all of the like here she jokes were kind of laid in then. Uh, but it was just, it was like scaffolding. It wasn't, there was no building in there. Mm -hmm. um, and so I needed a conflict. And I talked about co-working, oh, and there's narration, which, you know, great. It, it it's the it's starting point. Yeah, it, and it was really, I mean, I think the staged reading was really hands off. It was because it was narrated, it was like our town. And I so, narrated. I right. So, mm -hmm. so Jake played, woman. played the, that, you know, sort of omniscient narrator mm -hmm. and it was great. I mean, it was a good piece and it was moving and it was touching, but it felt once it got to the point it's at now or, or to the, the base of where it is now, it, it was like, oh right, we needed we need to be in the action. We can't be talking about it. Yeah. That's you know, it's like a radio play, maybe. Yeah. You know what See, I mean? And yeah. it's kind of yeah. telling them how to. I would say, you know, this is Dee Dee, and she went to you know MIT, and uh, you know she is a robotics instructor on the side. You know, I had all these side stories for everybody. It's like, who cares? You see the girl, you know who she is. She's tacky. Okay, good. The, yeah. Uh, one thing I I really uh, did love. Well, many things I loved about. Um, the show, but one is there wasn't a lot of exposition, and it wasn't there, there wasn't because it wasn't needed. Um, and I really, I very much appreciate that. And the only time where there were small bits of it were moments that were uh, drove the story forward, not just Good. telling <laughs> you about who this character was. So I thought that was I, I really I noted that. So whatever that Good. process was for sure. So. Then stage reading, you went back to the drawing board a bit. Big and time. Then when did you um, sort of finalize a script and how did that come about? Uh, okay, so the stage reading was in late April mm -hmm. and over the summer, I would say probably the first two months of summer, uh, we stripped it back, figured out what the conflict was. I wanted these two women, because women have to collaborate, these two women were co-founders. Mm -hmm. And I knew early on that it was in this all-female co-working space, which I, thought was a thing before I heard about The Wing, which is a female, an all-female co-working social club. Okay. Um, but so I just thought it was a good idea, and I was like, oh, well, wow, I guess, guess it's in the zeitgeist, <laughs> or however you say that expression. But I, I pretty much worked on it over the summer and laid in the conflict about these two women, and Gina is on the track of having children, and she's finally having this thing she's always wanted. So what's going to get in the way of that being a joyous experience? And then Allison's always aspired to leadership mm -hmm. and been stymied and been sort of a mid-level manager. Mm -hmm. And so she has a space to finally literally lead. Mm -hmm. And so the two of them have similar missions. You know, they have things that they want to accomplish, that they're going to accomplish, but 
what's going to get in the way of that? And so when I figured out that conflict over the summer, I would say it was probably sometime in June. And late June. late June, and we, I had people over every month or so to read what I had mm -hmm. aloud, and that was instrumental to everything, to hear what landed or what confused people, and then people would be like, no, I thought that character was the one who, you know, got in trouble, and I'd be like, oh, interesting, okay, if that person got in trouble, that actually heightens the tension in this other scene, oh, the, the Greek chorus, the three um, tertiary characters, what are their conflicts? You know, how do I build them into it? Okay, they're setting up the green room, and then there's another conflict that arises. Mm -hmm. So it, it gave me something to see these other people come in and do it. And then, Jessica, what, at this point, you were helping sculpt the, the script. How is that? I, I know you're an experienced dramaturg, but how, how is that? What is your sort of process for giving notes and sculpting when you were working with a writer? So the, the first thing I always say to any writer I'm working with is, these are my suggestions, take them or leave them. Right. <laughs> it's not, I don't, I don't have ego in whether you use something I've, I've suggested mm -hmm. or whether you go in the direction I've suggested. So that's sort of the first thing because I don't ever want, I don't ever want it to seem like I am trying to replace the writer's voice with mine. Mm -hmm. I'm not a writer, I don't wanna be a writer. I'm not good at, as a writer. I'm a really good editor, I'm a really good dramaturg, but I- And director. And, and I'm, I'm a very good director. But I'm not interested in, in creating the, the script from the ground up. So, okay. um, so I, I wanted to be clear to any writer I work with that, you know, that they're the writer and, and my, my ideas are suggestions. And then from there, it's really a matter of, I mean, it's, it's kind of how I direct, which is that I, I read it or I see it and, and things just stick out. And so I mention them. And usually in the mentioning of them, there is a discussion that's had. And then while that discussion is happening, we kind of hone in on what is the specific, the specific thing. I mean, one of the things that, that Jake was hesitant with was, was a full-on fight like a full-on conflict, not a physical fight, but a full-on conflict where people really go for the jugular. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that I didn't think it mattered or that it should happen. I thought it should happen. I just didn't know how to write it. Mm. I'm very conflict-averse, and so I did not really know how it was going to go down. I mean, she kept saying to me, like, they, they need to fight. The fight can go on longer. <laughs> it's not enough to just be like, okay. <laughs> That's not enough of a fight. I'd be in tears. At, okay. <laughs> so it was, you know, I had to heighten the drama. Yeah. So that was really, yeah, that came up a bunch of times. <laughs> and it was also a matter of, you know, I, I know Jake as a director as well, and so it was also a matter of, like, go too far. Yeah. Then you can pull it back. It's always easier to pull it back. It's harder to push it forward. So, so go too far. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you'll know. And then you pull it back. And we didn't need to pull it back. No. <laughs> like acting too, you know. Like how many times have you had someone say to you in a casting session, like, no, you're not doing enough. Yeah. You, just, you just see it, you know. I want to ask two quick more two more quick questions and I'll open it up to the audience. Um, I want to briefly ask about the set, which um, is extremely effective. Uh, it's, it's essentially um, Many, it's, it's, it's set up as a conference room, although in this, in this world we call them... Collabs. Collabs. Collaboration spaces. Collaboration spaces. <laughs> I will say, um, I, I do work at the BBC a lot in, in London. It's, um, the, the rooms have names of famous 
BBC people? celebrities. Ooh. Yeah, so I, you're, uh, and in this particular world, um, there were famous feminists and women, female leaders that um, the, you named your um, conference room collaboration spaces after, which I, I did love, and it did remind me um, of the BBC a bit. And, um, but this room uh, and one small set here um, operated as many different rooms, and at one point, I don't think this is just too much it's to give away. It was, it was like a split screen. It was two rooms in one. And uh, it, you accomplished that with a very cool trick, which I will have to say, audience will have to come see. Um, but it involved the screen um, behind, uh, behind us. So um, I want to ask, what was the inspiration for this set? And uh, what were some of the ideas that went into it? And how did that process work? Okay, so my scenic designer is a guy named Ryan Goff. He did a great job. Mm -hmm. It's basically this collab with a hallway around it. So I wanted two spaces mm -hmm. um, because so much stuff happens in a hallway at work. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you. I have a friend that I regularly used to dance opposite from the, a great distance down a long hallway at work. <laughs> so that was that starting point. I was like, oh, the hallways are hilarious. Yes. And there's always people coming and going, and you have your side conversations and your commentary on what's the meat of the work. True. Um, so, so basically, we, we said shades of gray and blue, and we wanted to be a little bit austere and glass and clean, but a little bit missing the mark, mm -hmm. um, that this woman-led space had no warmth. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm, I've, so I've gone way over time, so I thank you, audience, for being, but I did want to open it up to you, because this is, I mean, I hope you don't mind that I've gone over time, because this is uh, great material to hear and inspiration for people out there. So I just do want to open it up. We do have a microphone. Um, if maybe two or three questions, if anybody had that you would like to ask on the podcast about the, about the script or about the process or about the show. Oh, over there. Oh, okay. My question. Could you introduce yourself too? Because I. Oh, I mean, hi, okay. I'm Deanna. Okay. <laughs> Did you find it challenging to direct something that you had written and was personally attached to? I only know what I know. So I no. I mean, I was delighted to see it on some on other people. In my head, I was like, oh, I think it said like this, and it, no, and this person, she's giving me so many different things that I never, I never could have dreamt of. So it was, it was just so fulfilling to see everyone's take on it. There were moments where I would, like, explain a joke, but other than that, it, you know, it, it, it was, it was really refreshing because I wanted everyone to be distinct. So for you to come at it and to make, so Dana, full disclosure, is in the play and she's amazing as Allison, one of the two, um, the two women running the space. And you know, she came up with this really funny thing in the scene where she's lunging and she ends up singing a song. That was her joke, that was her idea. And you made the character more fulfilling for me to see that happen. I wouldn't have done that. Great, it's so awesome that you do. And it looks different on you than it would on me. So I, I just got a lot out of it. I mean, it was like, it, it, it started out in gray and it was in technicolor by the end. Anybody else? I'm Lauren. Um, thank you so much for making this. I've worked many jobs in corporate America like you, and then I've also done art on the side, so it's really powerful. I'm just going to sit down. Um, it's really powerful to see uh, this work come out of that kind of lifestyle, so that's inspiring to me, so thank you for sharing your story. But question about the art. Um, so what I thought was really powerful was the use of 
different ages of characters and different types of people. Um, I don't think anyone in the play was the same sort of person. And so I'm just wondering what your vision is, if you have one yet, for what this could be going forward. Because I could see, so I'm from Kansas, um, and then I went to school in the city of New York. So I've had best of both worlds of like no diversity in my life and then all technicolor. I'll use that word that you used. Um, and so to me, what could be really interesting is taking this to different communities and different cultures even, and different languages, and seeing how different structures of, of worlds could really play with this idea. Yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would love that. Um, there's a note in the playbill. I, If anyone saw this play and they want to encourage other people to come see it, that would mean a lot to me. If you have an HR group that wants to come or an affinity group, um, and then I would love for it to, go, to be done at universities and by different groups anywhere. But I also think it would make a great TV series. And so that's my next step after this. Um, it's sort of, I was talking about it with Jess today, that it's like a combination of, you know, if you're doing your elevator pitch, it's The Office meets Orange is the New Black because each episode could delve into one of these characters. What is Dee Dee's backstory? What is Carla's? Why is Emily having the worst week ever? Maybe we go back and see what happened. And so we have these protagonists that are obviously the leads, but yeah, they could be, I didn't write with any particular color or age especially in mind. Um, and it just, we tried it on a bunch of different women and, and you know, some people just took to it. And I was like, yes. I didn't know that's what she looked like, but yes, that's who she is. So yeah, thank you. That's a great cast. That's a great uh, another note for casting because I think, uh, you know, um, sometimes when people talk about colorblind or ageblind casting, it's not as open as that as you just said. And you just said you, you didn't have any idea for the character as you just came in to see who who came in. I thought Allison Lee Weber might be Asian. I don't yeah. know the Lee. I don't mm -hmm. know. I was like, it, right. it could be. I don't know. It's great. Yeah. That's lovely yeah. you have that openness. Is there anybody else that wanted to ask a question? No? <laughs> Thank you all for spending the time here. Well, I guess the, just the last thing we wanted to ask for the podcast is, um, um, uh, thank you. Lauren did ask what, what's next, so that's great. And um, we hope to continue to see Relentlessly Pleasant at theaters all over. But you're still here. This was just the opening. This is the very first night. Um, so tell us the details and um, you know how long you're on for and where to get the tickets. Absolutely. So Relentlessly Pleasant, written and directed by Jake Lippman, that's me, <laughs> uh, is running for 14 performances October 10th through 27th at Theater 54 at Shetler Studios, which is 244 West 54th Street, the 12th floor. And as I like to say in my emails, it's a nondescript high rise between Broadway and 8th Avenue <laughs> on the southern side. But with a new lobby. It's all it's fancy. It's got a lovely new lobby, and the bathrooms are remodeled. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, so you can get the, the tickets on your uh, website. Our website is www.ticktheater, and it's T-I-C for tongue-in-cheek, theater with an er.com. Robert always says er or re is the second most asked question on this podcast always. after what is this play ER. about? Er, er. <laughs> um, well, again, thank you so much, you. Jake Littman and Jessica Amarati. Thank yes, you. Uh, for not for spending some time with us. Thank you, audience, for staying as well. Um, but also thank you for uh, creating a show that uh, I think is goes sort of beyond the cliches of w what 
we're talking about at the moment and how women are uh, in the workplace. Um, it goes much beyond the surface. Um, and I haven't seen that a lot in a lot of art that's being created at the moment. Can I say one yeah. quick thing mm -hmm. about that? So I went to Smith College undergrad, and to be in an all-female environment was really important to me. I got so much out of it. And I had someone say to me uh, in the cast, you know, I don't know that I had that many great women friends until recently, and the fact that this cast is so supportive. And that bummed me out, because honestly, women among women, like, I think we're it, it levels out. You don't see, you don't, it's not about gender anymore. You just are. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted the women in this play to be great and diverse and everyone to have their downfalls and faults. their foibles. Some yeah. have faults and yeah, they, everybody well, has Everybody does. Mm -hmm. Nobody's perfect. Mm -hmm. I mean, show me a person in this play that's perfect. Mm -hmm. Maybe the, maybe the meditation instructor. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, once again, thank you very much. And um, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Jake and Jessica, for hanging out after the show to chat on Mike. And thanks, of course, to Tara for hosting and recording the talkback. You can catch Relentlessly Pleasant at Shetler Studios Theater 54, 244 West 54th Street, 12th floor in Manhattan, through October 27th, 2018. Head to TICtheater.com, that's theater with an E-R, for a link to tickets and more information. Thanks to you for listening into the podcast. If you dig it, please like it on Facebook, facebook.com slash go see a show. Follow at go see a show on Twitter and rate and or comment on the show's Apple Podcasts page. My name is Robert A.K. Gagno. You can find me on the internet at Robert Gagno, G-O-N-Y-O dot com. Until next time, go see a show. <laughs>